This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. We have Parshas Kiseitze 5782, Perek Chav Gimel, Yud This is a strange part of the Parsha, because it talks about what happens when a person's at war and he has to go to the washroom. What does he do? He has to go to the bathroom, and how does he react? How does he act? It says, You're supposed to have a yad, a place. And I know yad doesn't normally mean place, it means a hand. But in this case, it means a place. There's supposed to be a place outside the camp. And you're supposed to go outside there. When you need, you go outside to that area. And then it says in Pesach You're also supposed to have something like a shovel. A tiny little shovel among all the other weapons you have. Azinecha is your weapons. And when you're sitting outside, you dig using that, that shovel. You sit down, you cover up your bathroom with it. What an unbelievable tupsukim. And I'll bet most people don't know that there is a Pusik telling us how to go to the bathroom properly in the Torah. It tells us exactly what to do and what not to do. You're not supposed to just go anywhere. You have to have a makom, an actual makom. And that's where you go. You have to cover everything up. You shouldn't just be out there. It shouldn't just be there. So Sefer Achinuch says that this is counted as a mitzvah, as an actual mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to go to a bathroom in a certain spot and have to, to have a clean bathroom. It's one of the most important things to have. I was always told that one of the most important things for a shul to have is to have a clean and nice bathroom. That if a bathroom is made in a good way, then you're accomplishing this pusik. That the idea over here, though, seems to be in the Sefer Kino says that when you're at war, when you go out to war, because that's the theme of the parsha, when you go to war against your enemy, and it speaks about different areas, right? But this idea is, is that we don't just go wherever we want to, as the nations would do so. We would have, we're special, we're supposed to be a special people. The people who went to war were people that weren't afraid of sin. They were people who did the right thing. They were in a kiei nefesh, clean of their soul. They felt the Shekhinah's presence with them, and they realized that the Aron Kodesh was there, one of the Aron Kodeshes was there, as they went to war against anybody else out there. So the way that they would go to the bathroom was important, because you couldn't just go anywhere, you couldn't just do whatever you wanted. And that was an impressive thing. The non-Jewish nations would look at the Jewish nation as a model nation, not just for how they fight, which continues even today, but how they act when they go to war, that they even have a tool, a tool that is specifically used, not for any other reason, but rather to put on their side. I heard one of the praises of Aaron Lichtenstein Zatzel, who was the Rosh Shiva of Gush Etzion for many years. One of the praises is that when... And you'll excuse me, I don't remember if it was the 67 war or the 73 war. It was one of the two. But when they called them out and they were ready to go, I think it was the Yom Kippur War. It must have been the Yom Kippur War. So on the Yom Kippur War, when they called out, they were all looking for the Roshifa for Rav Aaron to get a bracha before they went. These soldiers, the Miluim, were called up in the middle of Yom Kippur, in the middle of Yom Kippur davening. They ran to go find the Roshifa, and the Roshifa was nowhere to be found. As they were getting on the bus... By the, by the yeshiva, to go to wherever their battle stations were, wherever they were supposed to be. Rav Lichtenstein was running to them, holding big things of toilet paper. Big things of toilet paper. And he handed it to each part. He said, I'll bet that nobody thought of this. 
And he gave them each a roll of toilet paper to bring with them into battle. Because this is, a corner. just think, it takes a Roshiva to think about this. This is part of the process of going to war. Knowing not just how to fight and not just what to do, etc. But even going to the washroom and going to war, there was a tool doing this when they went to war. A yesid that they used. And that's something that a person has to think about. Rashi says this area should be outside the Ananiya Kavod, outside the clouds of glory. The shovel should be there with anything else you might need, and it's not lavdafka shovel. It could be anything. Whatever you need to go to the bathroom, so you'll have an easier time, easier time to be able to find a place to do anything like that. Now, the Chizkuni says it's different from when they're in the normal camp. When they're in the normal camp, the Aron Kodesh is in the Mishkan, it's got in a set place. So in theory, you could go to the bathroom right by your tent. It would be disgusting, because remember, they all lived right next to each other. But you still could. But when you're at war and the Aron Kodesh is not in its set place and it could be right there in front of you and nobody knows where anybody is, that's when you specifically have to find a spot and make sure you went to the right place. That's what the Chizkuni says. The Abarbanel seems to say the same. People at war are different in the camp. The women already were disgusted by this, so they made them go outside. In a, in a war camp, when it was just men, maybe the men could just go to the bathroom and not worry about it. To that, the Abarbanel says, still they had to go outside even though there were no women around telling them what to do when it came to going to the bathroom, they had to realize it on their own. But the Gemara Yuma says it seems to apply to everywhere, not just when they were at war. Anytime they went to camp, it was right there. Now, the covering of it. What happened with this covering? I, I have three, maybe four answers as to why they felt that they had to cover up the Tzoa. And this leads to a really, really important idea. Ibn Ezra says, you know, seeing something disgusting makes something you feel something in your soul. It makes you feel like it's called a demus genai, he calls it, like an appearance of something disgusting in your soul, not just something that's usher. For example, seeing somebody that we know we're not supposed to be looking at, etc. That obviously affects you in a different way. But even seeing excrement, even seeing what a person lets out of his body is also considered something disgusting. And according to the Ibn Ezra, it affects your thoughts. Your thought process is affected by it. You can't think straight. You can't do anything in the right way when a person's looking at such things. The Ramban says, your mind should be revolved around thoughts of Hashem. It always should be that way. And looking at these types of things, disgusting types of things, allows a person to disturb their concentration, think about other things, and doesn't allow them to go. So the Ibn Ezra says, it's automatic. It's almost like it goes into your head and you can't get rid of it. The way the Ramban says it is, it's going to disturb your concentration. You're going to think about other things. And that's why you shouldn't even look at it. It should be covered completely. It is the lesson that we learn from cats. It's a Gemara and Erev and Dapsadi test that we learn everything from different animals. And cats, we learn the concept of Tznias, this idea over here. The Chassam Sofer once had a Talmud who came to visit him, a student of his, came to visit him. He hadn't seen him in a long time. Unfortunately, this Talmud had gone off completely, and he wasn't doing what he should have been doing. The Chassam Sofer brought him into the house. He treated him with respect. He sat down with him, sat, sat with him at the table. And after the meeting was over and the Talmud got up to, to go, the Chassam Sofer told everybody he had to learn some muster at that table out loud to get rid, he said, to get rid of the evil impression that that person brought into the house. Just think about that for a second. Now, again, that, that's not something that anybody here should do because we're not that easily influenced by somebody. And aside from that, we wouldn't even notice it, whether it was there or not. But the Chassam Sofer felt that after he had left, there was something that the guy left behind, something that was there almost like he was in a bathroom. 
And to get rid of that, he wanted to do something to clear out the area. And from that, the Chassam Sofer does prove that there's an idea of surrounding oneself with Kedusha, to surround oneself in the right way, to make sure that you're always doing the right thing in the right idea. That there should always be people there that are helping you make the right decisions because anything can go awry at any point. Okay. The Ketoris of the Avodah are very good, of the wives of Esav that went through. There's clearly something physical that can happen, and that clearly was a physical idea, but the spiritual idea is definitely there, and that's just something that's too, very hard for us, very difficult for us to understand. Yeah. So the problem is, you're right, I just don't know how to apply this to Tumor. Because obviously Tumas Mesa is with us at all times. What do we do with such things? But you're right. Obviously, it's there. There's an idea of guiding something. Listen, even in a shoal, there is a concept that there should always be a window open. It's done by Hasidish shoals. I don't see it by anywhere else. But to have a window open at all times, even, even just a tiny little bit, so to speak, in order to clear out the air, to allow something to go through so your tefillos will be able to get out, so to speak. But there's something to this. I just don't know exactly what it is. But that's answer number one, the idea of covering. Yeah, it did. So it's after something And, yes, I would say both. I would say both. And that's the idea that Ibn Ezra is saying. The Ibn Ezra is telling you that even looking at the Tsoa is enough to affect your mind is crazy. Just think about that for a second. Looking at a bathroom affects you. That's a, a crazy you idea. When they're together is a problem. I don't know about them going to the bathroom. I don't know if that's, I mean, you shouldn't. I don't know what you're looking at. But yeah, that, that, would, yeah, that definitely I wouldn't tell a person to do. The Ramban says a second reason. He says that the Machna is a holy place. It's not a place for this tzoa. It's not a place for this stuff. We shouldn't have a neighborhood that fills themselves up with garbage and piles it up one on top of the other. It's a problem. We look at certain areas, wherever it is, throughout the entire world, and we see this garbage in the street, and we wonder, why in the world can't they clean up? Why can't it be clean? Why can't it be a little bit better? And of course, the answer is because they don't care about their surroundings. So you just take your garbage, you just throw it down. But that's not the way anybody should act, let alone a Jewish person who knows that cleanliness is the way to be able to be a right person. That's the idea behind it. That's the idea of what a makom tefillah should look like. There's a halacha. And people don't know this halacha either. It's something that I've argued with people quite a bit about. You're not allowed to have a garbage can in a base medrash or a base knesses. You can't have it there. It's not that you should take... You should leave the garbage around somewhere. It's that garbage shouldn't be in an area of Kedusha. That's not where it belongs. It's not where it belongs. There's even a Shiloh right now, like where we're eating right now. Are you allowed to eat in a base matter? Are you not allowed to eat in a base matter? Because you're obviously causing garbage. Garbage is going to be here. And some people might leave or whatever it is. But the obvious answer is, is you're right. We do it because it's Al-Tanai, conditional. We don't always have shoals that have social halls, etc. So what we end up doing is we'll take some of the garbage and we throw it out immediately. We can't just leave it there. If you have a plate, and I know I'm doing this for the entire for our sheer here but if you have a plate you have a bowl you have something that you're eating obviously the key is to get rid of it afterward to make sure it's not there that's the Ramban then comes Rabbi Yonas and Ibshitz Rabbi Yonas and Ibshitz says it's a terrible reminder that we sinned if we wouldn't have sinned with the Egel Azov we would have eaten Mun for the rest of our lives the Mun didn't allow you to go to the bathroom Meaning, the mun was just nivla be'ivarim. It absorbed itself into the, into the body to the point where nobody had to go to the bathroom. There was nothing to exude. There was no bad thing that was in the stuff that they had. Which means, says Rabbi Yonas and Ipshitz, every time a person goes to the washroom, every time a person goes in, he's reminding HaKadosh Baruch Hu of his own sins, of the Egel Azov, that's there for every single one of us. 
So every time you go to the bathroom, cover it up. Don't show a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Get rid of it immediately in order to make sure that a Kaddish Baruch Hu isn't seeing it and reminding himself, oh right, these are the people that sinned that allowed themselves to go to the bathroom over and over and over again. In fact, that was the biggest issue with Baal Pa'or, that a Vodazar that they got so into at the end of the 40 years in the desert by Shittim. The fact that they went to an idol, even if it was the way of their way of making fun of the idol, but going to the bathroom and putting it all over Balpaor's face, which was the service of the idol, which obviously the message behind it was, you can do anything you want. This idol doesn't care. That was the clear message behind what it was supposed to be. But thinking of that, thinking of that idea and having your tzoa out there was the problem, that they considered their tzoa as something you could use when it's really something you just have to keep away. It's something that we, we shouldn't have. We should be people sitting and eating just the mun, allowing the food to get absorbed into our systems and only the good stuff, and not having anything to go to the bathroom with. And once a person has this bathroom, never to remind a Kaddish Baruch that we had it in the first place. The shach, however, does say, the shach Torah says, that you really do have a chiyuv to remind yourself every time you go to the bathroom. And he says, it's possible a person should even look. He says the following. He says, there are three things that you should look at every single day. He said, number one, you go to the bathroom. You should say to yourself, we're just like animals. Who are we? We're not these holy people that we think we are. We go to the bathroom like any other animal in the animal kingdom. Number two, letting blood when we have to let blood or, you know, go for a shot or whatever it is, you should say, we're only flesh and blood. We have no more than this. We're not spiritual creatures. We're not living for our soul. Our blood is right there in front of us. And number three, we stand by someone who passed away, by someone who passed away, like the queen, Allah HaShalom. She's a holy, listen, there's something there. There's, there's, yeah, yeah, it's, I, I, there is something to a woman who is that senua for that many years in her life. It's a very impressive thing, very impressive thing. But you say, look, this is what's going to happen to all of us in the end. All three things, says the Shach, is something that a person is saying, yes, it's, it's a little morbid, it's a little there, but this is the idea. So he asked the question, the Shach says, so why are we covering up the Tzoa? We should make sure to look at it to help us with our humility, to be able to think that way. So he said, again, the same idea. Had they not sinned at Harsinai, had there not been an Egel Azov, had they not sinned with the golden calf, we would be like Malach and we would be like angels. And we never would have had this. The fact that we sinned caused us to do what we need to do to go to the bathroom. So even though it reminds us of our frailty, it reminds us of our fallibility as human beings, nonetheless, we should cover it up so that Hashem doesn't look at us and say we're as disgusting as we know we really are. Yeah? Why is that disgusting thing? I mean, at the end of the day, You know, Victor Miller has pages and pages and pages about how going to the bathroom is the most amazing process that the human body has, and it's the miracle beyond miracles how it works. You're 100% right. I, I, I have heard the reason that we're somewhat embarrassed or whatever of, of going to the bathroom, why it's a disgusting thing, is because it's, 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 it shows our unused energy, that we didn't use that and process it to be able to... I, yeah, yeah, that's the basic idea, but I think this idea that we're saying from Teresonison makes it stronger. Think of this idea. He's saying the only reason why we have it is because we sinned. That's the reminder. That's what we're doing. So yes, the process is amazing. Well, that's only once, and that was a specific tzivah. I don't think that can be compared to this. But this is the idea. The idea is obviously there's something to it. Yeah. So that's still applicable to animals? Because it's, it's 
Right. Well, no, they never had the kedusha in the first place. In other words, the great thing behind it was that we shouldn't. We should have been like Malach, and we should have had the man. The animals didn't have that chance, no, so they would have remained in that that way. Oh, a hundred percent. It's it, even though it's a natural point of view, it could have stopped with the Egel Azov. That was the kedusha of what should have been with the. I'm sorry, with Matan Torah. That should have been that way. The Egel Azov took it away, but it would have. Correct. Correct. The Chavitz Chaim speaks about this as well. He asks this question. He says it as a question. He says, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu make us this way? Why did God make us with the ability to go to the bathroom and do such disgusting things with our bodies? And he says, Yechesko, Perachav Ches talks about them, says, because we have egos and we think of ourselves as great. So the bathroom that we have to go to knocks us down a little bit. You're not so great. You're just like an animal. You're a regular person, just like everybody else. That's the idea behind it. So he... Yeah, the same basic idea, instead of Moshe, you mean, right? The Chavetz Chaim says, right after that, he wonders, why wouldn't it be good enough then to go to the bathroom once a year? You have to go once a, once a day, twice a day, three times a day. Why not make it that we only go to the bathroom once a year to remind us? And he says, that's how important of a reminder it is. It's so important to knock ourselves down because we bring ourselves up every day on our own that once, twice, maybe even three times a day, HaKadosh Baruch to remind us we're normal people. We're normal people. Don't think of yourself as greater than you are. You're not more than just an animal. That's the concept. So that idea from the Chavetz Chaim, from that idea right over there, that's that. So here's the other thing. When did they have to go to the bathroom here? If they were eating the mun, like we just said, the mun got swallowed up by their Ivarim, when would they have to go to the bathroom? When did that ever happen? Like, when was there a process of that? So there's famous answers over here. The Rabbeinu Bachaya says that when they sinned with the Egel, then they had to start going to the bathroom, but only... If they ate something else, if you ate mun every day and that was it, you did nothing else, you didn't eat anything but the mun, you did not have to go to the bathroom and that got swallowed up. But if you ate something else and there were merchants that were going around giving food to the people, then you did have to worry and then you did go to the bathroom and that's where it came from. So that's one. Yeah. Drinking would have been the well of Miriam, which would be the same exact thing. The well of Miriam had the same status as what the... Mun did. It didn't cause you to have to go to the bathroom the same way normal things would have had stuff like that. The Bereshel Miriam had that same status. Ellie? Did that change? So that's a good question. The, the, the food, the Teva changed after the Egel Azov, or what do you mean by that? Before the Egel Azov, no, so I, that we don't know. Before the Egel Azov, they had no desire for regular food, so it never happened. That everything was through the Mun itself. After the Egel Azov, they had a desire for regular food, and they went out and got it and then they had to go to the bathroom. But it never happened before that. I mean, it was only 40 days, right? But during that time, they didn't feel the need to get anything else. That's what their level was on at that time. Yeah. But that was different than Mitzrayim. That was way different from Mitzrayim. They, they did use the bathroom. Without a question. It's only from Matan Torah up until Ego Zov, where they had that suppression of their desires. The mun was there. They never went to the bathroom. And then afterward, any food that they had afterward allowed them to go that way. The, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. We can go into the... Yeah, we can go into the entire parsha this way in which they were saying, I don't think even that food will affect us. We can make anything holy. We have the ability to do anything when it comes to that. That's exactly the point of what that was supposed to be. The Paneach Raza says... He said, I, I don't even understand the question. Wouldn't they need these laws for when they went to Eretz Yisrael? 
Yeah, right now they have the mun, but they weren't planning on eating the mun forever. These laws are not there for the time. The laws are there for the future. When they go to the bathroom, they have to know what to do in the future, even if now they didn't go to the bathroom. They have to know what to do in the future. And for me, I kind of think it's an easier answer altogether. They were promised mun when they were in the machinet when they were surrounded by the Ananiyakavod, the clouds of glory, when they were sitting with everything, that's when they got the mun. Who says they got the mun when they went to war? They went to war against Sichon. They went to war against Og. They went to war against Amalek earlier. Who says that when they walked out to war that the mun followed them? The mun might have only been in the camp, but when you went to war, you might have had to eat normal foods. If they ate normal foods, then they would go to the bathroom. And these laws seem to be indicating, at least according to some Rishonim, it's talking about those people who went to war, what they, went, what they did when they went to the bathroom. So the question doesn't bother me. The question was, well, I don't understand. If they were eating the mun, they didn't have to go to the bathroom anyway, so what are these psukim talking about? There, there were probably times when they couldn't eat the mun, like when they went to war. So it doesn't bother me as much. Even so, even so, I, who says that when they went to war, they had the mun around them? It doesn't mean the mun followed them, right? They, they went to war, they did whatever it was, and that's that. Shlomo, what were you going to say? No, I was thinking about when the rabbi was going to say that you see from when they went to, when they were saying to pastor, they were saying, they said, oh, Tashbirani, they said they're going to buy food and drink. Oh, Tashbirani, right, that's for sure, at the end. There's no question. Yeah, yeah, There's no question. In the 40th year, there were definitely merchants going around. In fact, according to Uznayim Latorah, that's why Moshe Rabbein only told them this at the end of his life and not before. Kisetze is the end of his life because until this point, they weren't buying food. It was only now where they finally had food available. Otherwise, they were just eating them on, and that was that. But then there's an unbelievable medrash. This medrash is so crazy. It's so crazy, and anybody who's done Ksuvis knows this. You just might have forgotten this medrash, but it's based on this Pusik. The Balaturim says that if you hear Nivalpet, or you hear something else, somebody speaking Lashon Hara, somebody saying something disgusting, so you have a job. You have to put your finger in your ear. Your fingers are made this way. They're made as little pegs so that you can fit them inside your ear and you'll be able to stop everything going. And if not, you have to walk away. If you can't put your fingers in your ears, if you can't do it, then you go. I'm sorry. Oh, so hold on, hold on. So he says this. It's all based on a Gemara. It's Ksubis Tafheyam Bar Kapara says, Oznecha, your weapons, should be read as Oznecha, your ears. And he says, if you hear something that's Enohagun, something that's not right, then you stick your finger in your ear, which is like a Yesid, that's the peg. These are like little pegs. You stick the pegs in your ear, and that way you get away from it. Now, the Academy of Rebbe Yishmael said a little bit differently. Academy of Rebbe Yishmael said, why do the bottom of our ears, why do they have these earlobes? For most people, they're not stuck to the, the skin itself. Why do we have these earlobes? So that if a person hears something disgusting, you can take the earlobe and stick it in the ear itself, or the cartilage that's right there, and put it right there like you said, Ellie. The idea is to be able to do something that if you hear something inappropriate, you'll be able to stop. Now, the Chassam Sofer says you need both. And this is a halacha that, again, I don't think people know. It doesn't apply as much anymore because we're much cleaner people, but the halacha is that if a person scratches their head in the middle of davening, they have to go outside and wash their hands again because they made themselves tummy. Now, with shampoo and showering every day, right, that probably doesn't apply. Only if you're going, like, coast to coast does that really apply where, like, if you scratch your head... How dirty were people? When do you think they showered? Right? And so either way, so then it's a real issue. Nowadays, if a person scratches their head, it's hard for me to say that he should leave his davening and wash his hands because we're super clean. Unless, again, you have lice or something, then yeah, you should. Right? Then now we tell you to do it. But when it comes to the nose, picking your nose or putting your finger in your ear and you have wax inside there, then you have a problem. You definitely have to wash your hands. So this is a problem. What? Nagel. 
I wouldn't do that, but just one time should be enough. That should be okay. You don't have to do the full three, right? It's machlokas based on the Mishaburah Chayadam, but, right? So this is what you do. So if you hear something terrible, right, then you can put your fingers in your ears. But if a person has wax, says the Chassam Sofer, that's why you have the earlobe or the cartilage of the ear to close it so you don't have to put your finger in your ear and get your finger all dirty, which is brilliant that the Chassam's over. But he said those are the two that he combines together. There's a morale over here that I don't understand. He says sticking your finger in your ear will cause you to go deaf and therefore never stick your finger all the way in your ear, which is true. You shouldn't put a Q-tip all the way in there. You might hit your brain. So you shouldn't do that. I get that. But like he says, because of that, you should, have, you should use your lobes and go in so you don't go too far in. He quotes a Gemara in Shabbos, Kuf Chasim and the Kuf Chasim said, Yad Ozen Machareshes, if you put your finger to your ear, your hand to your ear, you'll go deaf. But that Gemara is talking about something else entirely. That's talking about touching your ear without washing Negovaster. It has nothing to do with sticking your finger too far in. I don't know what the Maral means by that. Maybe he's saying like there's a double intent, there's something else that we're learning from there. I'm not sure what he means. But the Kliyakar says something amazing. He says it's all a remiss. It's all a hint to something. He says, when a person wants to know if their argument is a good argument or not, look at the end. The end reference to the lobes of the ear. If the lobes are soft, if you can come out from that argument, and you're both friends still, you're, you're good with each other, right? The argument is, the argument was, you hold one way and that person holds the other way, but at the end of the argument, you're just like, yeah, we're still friends. I, just, I, I didn't agree with what you were saying. Then you know it was a good argument and everything was all good, and if not, then not. He says, this whole Parsha starts with you're supposed to be careful of something that's ra, which is dibor ra, from bad speech. Lashnahara could destroy any nation. It destroys our nation more than it does anything else. It's the reason for the second base of Mikdash being destroyed. It's the reason why we don't have Mashiach yet. According to the Chavetz Chaim, that's exactly why it happens. So what's the connection between all these things? He says, because if a person learns how to be careful with the chisisa se'asecha, if he takes care of what comes out of his mouth, and he covers up his ears when the time comes for him to cover up his ears, then everything's going to be okay. If he's careful about those types of things, then you'd get around and you'd be able to go around. Now, I'm not so bothered by the Kliyakar's question, but I get it, and if you look inside here. But I've got another question, which is so brilliant. Literally, when I saw it, I fell off my chair. It was so brilliant. Such an unbelievable question. It's Rabionis and Eibshitz. He brings it in two different places. He brings it in Tveris Yehonasan, Tveris Yehonasan and the Chumash, and brings it again in his Drushos in Yaros Devash. And I saw it quoted by the Chida as well. The Gemara asked, why are fingers shaped like pegs? And it says, because if you hear something, you should put it in your ear. I don't, why are noses shaped like little hooks? The Gemara doesn't ask about that. I don't, why are elbows shaped like little bony protrusions? Right? Well, why is anything shaped the way it is? Why are heads shaped ovally? Right? Well, why wouldn't the Gemara ask about everything over here? The Gemara is specifically asking about fingers and nothing else. Why fingers? And why ears? I don't know. Maybe you should be able to say the reason why our hands are, have a palm is to keep it on our mouth so we can stop talking. Right? Oh, hold on. Michael, very good. But I'll pretend like you didn't just read it. Okay, I'll pretend. <laughs> Joking. So this is brilliant. It's such a brilliant shot. He says the following. He says, originally, we were supposed to be like Malachim. Malachim also have the image that human beings have. We don't understand that because Malachim are spiritual, but there's supposed to be some type of image. We're made in the image Salam Elohim, which has obviously a spiritual connotation, but we'll say that there's some physical aspect to how we're all created. Malachim have this as well. Malachim are created with eyes. They're described of have, as having eyes. They're created with a mouth 
and they are created with regular ears. And here's the idea. Malachim are able to see things, but there are certain times where even Malachim are not allowed to look. For example, Malachim cannot look toward HaKadosh Baruch whatever that means. They're not allowed to look above them. So they have eyelids, because Malachim are supposed to see, but there are some times where they're not supposed to see. So they have eyelids, and human beings were also made with eyelids for that reason. Malachim are supposed to talk. They're mamalalos. That's one of the reasons why they're called malachim. They're messengers which have the ability to talk. So they have a mouth. So they speak whatever they're supposed to speak. The praises of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the singing the songs of Hashem. That's the malachim. But there are times where they have to be silent. Itim mamalos, itim chashos, the Gemara Chagiga says. There are times when malachim have to be silent when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying a decree. And they have to be silent. They can't say anything. So they're given lips to close their mouths so they don't talk. But ears, there is nothing that a malach cannot hear. A malach can hear everything because there's nothing bad being said in Shemayim. So a malach has ears, but there's no closure for them. The ears were made purposely not like eyes and not like a mouth because there's nothing you can't hear. And he doesn't say this, but I think it's the same. Noses, they also don't have a natural closing. There's nothing that closes the nose. Because there's nothing a malach can smell that's bad. There's nothing they can smell in Shemaim. There's nothing bad for them to smell. When Adam Arishon sinned and stopped being a malach, he's no longer a malach. He obviously then needed the closed mouth, the lips, to stop himself from saying something forbidden. That was obvious. He obviously needed to close his eyes because there are things he's going to see that are forbidden. That's obvious. But what about the ears? He's supposed to look like a malach. Malachim don't have closures to their ears. So what do people do? So here comes the medrash that you were hinting to before, Michael. That's exactly it. The Gemara, it's a medrash avkir. Very strange, obscure medrash avkir, quoted by the Mamloes, that says that the people before the times of Noah were born without opposable digits. They were born beli chiluk etzbaos. And that Noah was the first person born, say some type of adaptation, in which his fingers began to separate and they were made into pegs. Originally, human beings had penguin hands. Their hands like this, with a thumb, and that's that. I'm sorry? Not evolution, it would be adaptation. Like Lamarck, as opposed to Darwin. Because there's no proof to Darwin. But Lamarck makes sense. So either way, so that that idea of where the hands... I'm sorry? I, I don't think it's so hard. You have one, one. You have thumbs still, right? They're still like, you know, they still have that. Koala bears can still shoot bows and arrows, I'm pretty sure. So either way, so regardless, <laughs> they have like double thumbs. Anyway, so regardless, so either way, so they had this, but they had no ability to go through. Noah was the first person to be born with these opposable digits, and he was able to work the land differently than everybody else. And that's why they said, ze, what's the wording? This guy's going to save us from all the sadness of our hands and all the terrible things that's happened because he's born with these supposedly. Now he can do everything properly. By the way, is the same gematria as that their hands were without opposable digits. That's from a Panach Raza. Yeah, it's a great gematria. I just don't remember the number, but it's exactly that. So they were born... So then it makes sense. Now we come into an unbelievable question. Wait a second. What do we do about the ears? We got to cover up the ears. Well, there's one part of our body that has changed. That has changed. It's the hands. 
everybody has chiluk etzbos. Everybody is born with opposable digits. Call that selective breeding because Noach is the only one that made it through the Teva and it's all his kids. So that genetic, that genetic code ended up going to all of his kids. So they all have, everybody is born with opposable digits. To that, the Gemara says, I don't need to ask you why Kadosh Baruch Hu made mouths this way. I don't need to ask you why eyes are shaped this way, why nose is shaped that way. Hashem made us that way. That's fine. But Hashem did not make us with opposable digits. So why did Hashem make opposable digits? Why did Hashem make it that we have peg fingers? And the answer is because there was nothing else to use to close up the ears. We needed the fingers to close up the ears. That's the brilliance. What an unbelievable answer. And he says, that explains Bar Kapara's statement. Because if you look at the Pasuk, look at the Pasuk over here. It says, V'yad ti'elecha michutz lamach. And I look at the wording. Yad ti'elecha. There will be a hand for you. It's not ti'a, it should be in present tense that you will have a hand. But it's ti'a, there will be a hand for you in the future that's going to change. The yesed ti'a. And they're going to be shaped like pegs. Why? To put in your ears. That explains the whole Pusik in a Jewish form, obviously, not in Pshat. But that explains why it's written as Yad Yesid, and then Ozeinecha, which are all super weird words, and none of them fit the context of the Pusik. But it's because it's all hinting to this idea from Rabbi Yodas and Ibshitz, which I thought was crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, quick, Dave. I was going to say, even if you are a flipper, baby, you can still yeah, but not as well. Now you can really stick it in. You can stick it in, but you're still hearing me, right? Because I'm super loud. Right, so that's the difference. That's the difference to be able to go through. No, we haven't gone to the toes. I, I don't know if we were ever made with flipper toes. I have no idea. We were like, I mean, except for Michael Jordan. He had webbed toes when he was born, right? He would have been different. But clearly that makes him into a great ball player. So, yeah, Monty. So that's a great question. And there, I, I'd have to get into over there. I gave a share on this years ago, probably eight years ago, on this exact idea of Zen, and why he was called that way. I, I don't remember the exact answer, but I remember there were three different achronim that spoke about it and said specifically by Noah because the world was changing and the world was, uh, that's it, the ground was no longer giving forth produce the same way it was on its own because the people had sinned. So therefore, they had to get into something different. Ellie. Yeah. Right? Right yeah. That is literally the next thing right next. The Miyamale says of our five senses, the sense of hearing is the most precious. Hashem values Shmia over everything else. And he says, when the Torah tells us what happens, it says, O Cheresh, O Pikeach, O Iver. Right? If a guy's deaf, it's mentioned before being blind, meaning the deafness is the most important. Moshe Rabbeinu said, Shema Yisrael, Shema Lekino, Shema Chod, before he said, Re'eya, Nochino, Sein Lefnei Chamayom. The Shema Yisrael, there's something about the ears. There are good things and bad things, obviously, that come with our sense of hearing. We can listen to Divrei Torah, we can listen to people telling us the right thing to do. We could also hear Lashon Hara, we could hear Rechilus, we could hear bad things that people say. We have to recognize the power for usage. And even if we think, like the Ibn Ezra said above, even if we think we're not affected by this, I'm not affected by seeing someone going to the bathroom or the bathroom that a person has. That doesn't affect me. Why would that affect me? I don't realize it, but it is. It's the same way with hearing. Hearing something has that effect on us, whether we like it or not. When you hear enough nivel peh, it's really hard to stop yourself from cursing. It's really hard. You can do it, obviously, but the more it goes into your brain, the more it's there where it becomes just part of your vernacular. It's just part of what you speak about. That's just who you are as a person. It's so important to stop. It's the same thing when a went to 
Yeah. That they were affected by just being in the area, that the malachim just being there were enough. And I'll end with this. We have like one minute left. There's another hint brought by the Dego Machna Ephraim. And this is an idea, a Hasidish idea. It's brought by the Dego Machna Ephraim, by the Botsina Dinuhura, the Meashiloch, and the Imre Noam. It's all basically the same idea. They all say the following Words of Torah and Musr that you hear with your ears should be Al Azenecha. It should be in your ears, it should be set in you and held in your heart like a peg then even if you're outside of your normal holy area, your yatsasa b'shivtachachutz, when you sit outside and you're not in your normal place and you feel like, I don't know where I am, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, then you can dig within yourself and find that kedusha within you. V'chafartaba. You can dig within, you can dig down deep and find it. V'shavta. And that will allow you to do tshuva. You'll realize you did something wrong. You'll remember those words of Kiddush and Musa you heard before. And that will cover up the sins that you did before. The chisisa eseosecha. That the way the Degel Machna Ephraim puts it is, it is all a process. Listening to the words of Kedusha, listening to something Kadosh, will allow you to get to the point where you'll be able to cover yourself up completely. That's the idea behind it. It could even be that there's a form of busha that's involved, where the Gemara says, but when you're embarrassed by it, you have that mechila, you have that forgiveness for all of your deeds. Who knows what it is? But I'll end with this, the Yad that we talk about over here. Yad plus Yad is Koach. Yad is 14 for your hand. It's supposed to be because you have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, even 12, 13, 14 knuckles. So 14 is a gematria of Yad, so that's Yad. Yad plus Yad, 14 plus 14 is supposed to be Koach. I first heard that from a cab driver, by the way, in Eretz Yisrael, of course. It wasn't in America. There wasn't an Uber driver. That's the difference. But I first heard that from him. And that idea, says the Imre Noam, is if you lost some of your Kochos, it's because your yad is outside of the camp. It's because you're taking yourself out. So all of that, that idea is all around the same thing to bring yourself back, especially during these days leading up to Elul, leading up to Roshana, the Shavta, bring yourself back so that the Chisiso Seasecha, you'll be covered. He goes into Sukkis being the time when a person is covered with mitzvot and surrounded by mitzvot. But the idea is covering up all that and bring your Kedusha back. Stop with that, guys. Have a great Shabbos. All right.